do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 553. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Sweetheart, will yes. you please tease the show, and then I'm going to have a few announcements. Oh, okay. Well, I don't really need to tease it. I'll just tell you what the title is. No, tease. Is that a, is that what you mean by Yeah, tease? it's a radio term. Okay. It's a podcasting term. Oh, I wouldn't I'll teach know. you someday. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. Right. Um, so the title of the show today is What Self-Care Really Is. What? I'm writing this down. Okay. What Self-Care Really Is. Okay. Well, I feel like I already know what this is. So this, I got this. You don't. Oh, I don't. I, I think you will be surprised by some of the things we discuss because I think we have a misunderstanding. At least that's what I'm seeing over the last like month or so. Mm-hmm. I've seen it always because mm-hmm. I'm, but I've seen it like I'm on high alert about it right now. Got it. Um, okay. So real quick, we have a Zen talk this Wednesday. Wednesday. It's the, it's the second of a two-part Discussion. Discussion on White Fragility. Correct. The book by Robin D'Angelo. Correct. Uh, last week, we did uh, Zen Talk number 93, and we talked about screen time, newborns, and depression. And the one before that, we talked about um, summertime blues, white guilt, and speaking up. Yeah. So the Zen Talks are awesome. Uh, Tribe Men's Group, every Wednesday night, 7.30, virtual. If you're interested, go to tribemensgroup.org. And uh, I do a little coaching, toddadamscoaching.com. What about pop culturing? We'll get to it. Are we going to do one this week? Maybe. Do you have any ideas? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say them right here because I'm, I've got a bunch, but I feel like we should get a pop culturing going. Yes. I actually have a relatively open week. Let's do it. So, okay. So we are going to have a new pop culturing, hopefully by the end of this week. And that's our other pop podcast. You can go to popculturing.com or just go to zenparentingradio.com and everything is there. And all of our most recent pop culturing episodes are there. Just subscribe, just get it when it shows up. You know what I mean? And uh, subscribe to Team Zen too. First month's free coupon code Friend. friend, as in Monica, Rachel, Phoebe. No, you you did this last week too. It's not friend, uh, it's friends. Uh. Are you sure? It's not friend. The show is not called friend. It's about friends. But the coupon code is friend. Correct. Yes. But you always compared the well, word what, friend. How am I supposed to say friend? As in... What pop culturing reference can I use to uh, use friend? Um, how about I just say Phoebe? Because that's a friend. There you go. Is that good? Or you've got a friend. You got in me. a friend. In me. A Toy Story pop cultural reference. Real quick on that, uh, who is the guy that sings that? Uh, Randy Newman. I don't know how many awards he has, a but lot. it's a million of them. Uh huh. But I kind of feel like it's the Bob Dylan thing. He doesn't have that great of a voice. No, it's the songwriting. Like we listen to James Taylor. Yes. Beautiful voice. And beautiful songwriting. And beautiful, but but Randy Newman. He's not that good. Well, it's not that he's not that good. He captures a as certain a, as a feeling. vocalist, I'm saying. If he was an American Idol, he would not make it to Hollywood. I doubt it. Would Bob Dylan have made it to Hollywood? Probably not. Right? But see, that's the thing. Is would like, Jim Morrison have made it to Hollywood? <laughs> would Billy Corrigan have made it to Hollywood? None of those guys would have made it to Hollywood. <laughs> I think that we were you uh, you and I and a, and a few of our friends were discussing this this weekend, like what the best song ever of mm, all time is. Yeah. And we were trying to like figure out like... What do we mean by that? Like, do we mean the lyrics? Do we mean the impact? Do we mean... And I think initially, like, we were talking about that it was the song that so many people redo. 
Like, because it's such a great, like you chose Hallelujah, which so many people have made that covered. That's the word I'm looking for. You know, covered that song. And it's because the songwriting and the impact is so immense that they want to take their own turn at it. And you chose one of my bands. I, I chose Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd because I've never met anybody who doesn't like that song. As a matter of fact, I don't like anybody who doesn't like that well, song. Well, that's I wouldn't go that far. I but would. what I think is funny is whenever it comes on, everybody always goes like, oh, like everybody's got a story, either a personal experience with Comfortably Numb or they have like somebody who introduced this song to them yeah. or they had like it reminds them of high school or reminds them of their parent it, it's like it oh, it. Ha- even our kid likes that song that's what i mean is it's it's it crosses generations you know what i mean it's like all of us like this song and we all have the what i was laughing about is the when the song begins mm-hmm. and everybody makes this sound. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Everybody goes, oh, like, here's this song. Whenever I think of that song, I just think of the word pretty. It's just it a is pretty. pretty, melodic. But it's a little eerie. See, the whole thing about Comfortably Numb, I think, is that cross between that the choice isn't great what Pink is doing. Like no, Pink he's numbing out. He's numbing out. And we're talking about self-care today. I know. And so Pink is drugging out and numbing out. So there's this kind of sound of the guitar like, ooh, he's real relaxed. Mm-hmm. But this isn't good. Yeah. Like, it's eerie. It's like he's losing himself. We were going to have multiple rounds of this game. So we just made this game up this uh-huh. weekend while we're sitting with some dear friends. And I wanted to like go. I had a few more in my bag. I know you did. Did you have any more in, in your, your bag? back pocket? I had a few in my back pocket. This was uh, going to be mine. Yeah. I think this would have been a good choice. It would have been, but mine was by the other songwriter, uh, by Paul. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, you were going to say a Beatles song too? I was. What was it going to be? It was going to be Let It Be. Ah. I think everybody has an experience with Let It Be also, where they'll go. It's like all about when a song comes on. And and it was funny because we our conversation was interesting because... It can veer into the world of wedding music, where we're not talking about like YMCA. Yeah. Like everybody plays that song, but that doesn't mean it's a great song. Right. Or Dancing Queen. I, forgive me. Dancing Queen's a great song, but that's not like a perfectly written song. What we're about talking Celebrate about, Good Times by the Cool in the Gang? Same sweetie. kind of thing, where it's not about a great pop song. It's about that great song that is really deep and like solid and foundational. Mm-hmm. And it's not. And it's not, it's hard to find. Right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Quick side note. Yes. I hate to regurgitate the same old story, but um, I have a story that I'm trying to break this pattern. The story is that I'm not good at feeling my feelings. Right. Okay. We all know this. If you listen to the show, I say that too much. Like, just shut up, Todd. Oh, you, be, you make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, thank you. And I decided that I was going to start... So I watched this um, this uh, documentary a friend of mine made called Refugee, and mm-hmm. it's on Amazon Prime, and it's wonderful, and it's really heartfelt. And I felt myself starting to, like, you know, my upper lip started wavering as if I was about to cry, mm-hmm. and it felt really good. And I thought, maybe I'll use art 
as my vehicle towards feeling my feelings. Of course, that's what I think majority of the population does. Isn't Sweetie, that why you 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 don't need art to feel your feelings? Well, this is true, but it doesn't mean that I don't use art Correct. to feel my feelings. Right. I'm just kind of differentiating <laughs> me versus you because you cried whatever last Thursday, let's say, mm-hmm. probably. I cried this weekend. You did? Yes. When? I cried by myself. I cried last night during Just Mercy. I cry a lot. Oh, that's right. So yeah, that was art because that was a documentary, mm-hmm. uh, Just Mercy. So anyways, that's my new plan. So I like it. Anybody have any good art? And it doesn't have to be sad. It could be joyful. Goosebumps. You know, like... So Happy anyway. cries. Happy cries or or sad cries. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's my new that's my new idea. All right. So you ready for self-care? What self-care really is by Kathy Adams. <laughs> well... By us, meaning our discussion about this. So for the last three weeks or four weeks, we've been talking a lot about uh, race and how we need to become more aware of the systemic racism that lives in our culture and then innately lives in us because we've grown up in this culture. And, you know, I feel like I've been talking to a lot of people about this and there has been discussion because this discussion has been going on for a while. Um that people are like they're tired Mm. or, you know, this is a lot of work and it doesn't even have to be about race. It can be about, you know, whatever aspect of our lives. And the, the reason that, and I'm going to go in two different directions. The reason I I wanted to talk about self-care is because a lot of people run toward, I'm tired of this. So I'm going to not look at this anymore Mm. and I'm going to push this away. Sure. And they call it self care, or they call it oh. self. Um, you know, I'm I'm not going to I'm Ooh. not going to sabotage myself with that anymore. So or, they use self care as an excuse to divert or escape. Correct, which is very similar. And and I, I'll get deeper. That's not the only thing, but it's very similar to what we talked about last week, which was spiritual Spir- bypassing. Right. Got it. Which is that it's a it's a it's another kind of way of by saying, I just need to focus on me and take care of me. I'm not going to look at this. That is, I'll just say it in this way, that's quite convenient. Yeah. Meaning that one thing, and and the reason why I wanted to have a discussion about it is because we need to parse out all the pieces here because I believe in self-care and I believe that there are parts of our lives that we can let go of and say, I'm not going to look at this. But there's certain aspects of our lives that I think we too easily either... Um, we get overwhelmed by it. So we somehow feel like we have permission to deny it, or we feel like something else will take care of it, or we just run away, Mm. continually run away. And I, I have seen this, like, for example, in discussions about race, which is something that should be ongoing, there's no end to this discussion. Nope. There's no day where we're like, oh, Check. Protests are over. Yeah. Uh, vigils are over. Um, you know, all of these, to, you know, okay, I'm done thinking about it. No, no, this is onward and upward. Mm-hmm. Like we need to keep having these conversations and make this an open communication. Very similar to as parents, we need to have ongoing conversations about mental wellness with ourselves and our kids. We need to have ongoing conversations with ourselves and our kids about sex and sexuality and gender. We need these are open, ongoing discussions. Race is no different. Yeah. And I think with race, we are like in the moment of um, you know, this work is I as parents, I think it's the parent work right now, mm. is we need to come to grips with our own 
like the internalized racism inside of us and acknowledging like you just read you just read something to me that was so beautiful from your friend Eric. He had a quote um, that you read to me and it, it said something about that when we don't see the humanity in someone like George uh, Floyd. Yeah. Like like Derek, is his last name Chauvin? I don't know his the the man who put his knee, knee on, on George, George Floyd. Floyd's neck. Yeah, when he lost, when he didn't see George Floyd's humanity, he lost his own humanity. Yeah. So when we miss other people's humanity, we are missing a piece of our humanity. Right. It doesn't work like we're all full and whole, and we decide who else is who deserves. Right. You know. Uh, compassion or to be seen as fully human. If we look at anyone as being less than or not as important or a they or an other, part of our humanity is missing. This is why I've come to a point where I think starting around, I mean, maybe my whole life, but really deeply starting in 2016, I was really listening to other people's opinions about like, why do you believe in this? Or why do you think this? And you know, it's 2020 and I've been listening a long time and a lot of it's just crap. Yeah. I mean, and when I say that, it's about otherness and it's about deciding that other people aren't worth it or deciding you don't see their humanity or just focusing on yourself or just, and I've listened and, and, and this isn't everybody I'm generalizing because okay. there's plenty of, I'm, it's not like I'm going to shut down and stop listening to people, sure. but a lot of the, a lot of the excuses have this underlying racism to mm. them. Or this underlying like sexism to them. And so I can't be like, oh yeah, I got a point there. I don't, I don't see that as a point. I see that as that, oh, excuse me, that person talking to me is missing a piece of their humanity and blaming somebody else for the way they feel. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And um, I was going to say something a few minutes ago, but I didn't want to interrupt you when somebody, um, you know, it's just the idea that we think that the other, you know, men, this race, you know, if you're talking about misogyny or, you know, toxic masculinity, you know, as a guy, I'd be like, well, I don't have to worry about, you know, equality of women because I'm not a woman. Correct. And there's this delusion that it doesn't all Affect interconnect. Us. Exactly. And I feel like that's, um, I don't know, it's weird because I feel like our brain is wired to keep ourselves safe first. And it takes survival, survival, mm -hmm. and it takes our experiences, our prefrontal cortex, to understand that what I, what what happens to others also happens to me. And Always. even that's a weird statement because you know I'm not I'm the white straight guy, so I'm not the one getting othered. So, but when you are othering somebody, a piece of your humanity is missing. Right, we miss out more by not having women you know, men and women of color, indigenous populations, LGBTQ community, we miss a piece of our humanity when we other people. Well, and the way I think about it is I'm in an industry that is dominated by white straight men, usually mm -hmm. older, like, you know, the people in power are, you know, men in their 50s and 60s and 70s. And what one I'm on the in, in this industry diversity committee. One thing we're trying to get these men to understand is your team is less good because right. there's no difference. Correct. If you had multiple perspectives at the board table or whatever it is, yeah. you would be a stronger organization. Exactly. But there's this idea like, 
oh, well, now we got to like make sure minorities are at this table because it's the right thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. You will be a better company if you yeah. do it. And I kind of feel like that's the first thing I thought of when you said and that. And I think that's beautiful because we look at it as being like, you know, we we throw words on it like we're just trying to be PC mm. or we're trying to, you know, Equal, fill, e- raise up. fill a quota. Yeah. We're looking at it through these lenses of pretending, which I think I have learned over the last couple of weeks is, weeks is called performative. Yeah. It's like demonstrating something on the surface, but it's not penetrating. It's mm. not something you truly understand. And I think the piece we're trying to get to is I'm going back, I'm already feeling bad that I was like, I listen to people and I think it's crap. <laughs> I, that's so that's not a nice way to say it. What I'm saying is I can no longer reinforce people's belief systems that are inherently racist, sexist, or misguided. And you weren't that, reinforcing well, them. Be- let me let me finish my Sorry. sentence. It like misguided in that they are saying something about blaming somebody else mm-hmm. or saying that ev- their problems are because of another group or they there is I look at people who say things like that now and I would never say that's crap I would just say you're missing their your your work is what needs to be done yeah. not looking to those people and saying if they would just figure it out you need to see what's going on inside of you and how that's affecting your perspectives now there are people that you know can sometimes hear that depending on where they are in their life. And there are some people that have no desire to and will never even ask me this question. I'm not, you know, I'm not for everybody as far as the way I talk about things, but go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you said, well, I'm no longer going to reinforce it. And I was going to interrupt you and say, well, you weren't really reinforcing it before, but you were being neutral on it or silent. Thank you. Much better language. And that's what's going to, that's what's changed. That's what's changed is it wasn't, I never reinforced. I listened and I was quiet, but silence can be violence. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? When it comes to this, you know, understanding that if you do, if you are not speaking, then you are, what did, uh, um, not, it wasn't Frankel. It was, Wiesel said, if you are not speaking, then you are taking the side of the oppressor, Mm -hmm. you know, because your, your neutrality isn't helping anybody. I actually just listened to a really great daily podcast today about, they were talking about how, Twitter and Facebook yeah. are coming at things. I listened from, to the first 15 minutes of it. And, and it was so interesting. Like, you know, Twitter is taking a stand about there are certain things that are not okay, yeah. that there are things that are racist and they're saying this is racist and they've put some, you know, like... Um, they're fact-checking. They're fact-checking and then like putting it over even President Trump's... I can't believe I just said President Trump. I very rarely say that. That um, guy. That guy. <laughs> over Trump's tweets... Um, they're actually saying this is not fact, you know, you need to consider that this is not factual. Whereas Facebook is unwilling to do that. And part of the reason they're unwilling to do that is they tend to have an older, more conservative audience. And then it made me go, oh, because we do so many things on Facebook. And and I thought, well, I love Instagram. Instagram is owned by Facebook. It feels like such a trapping. Yeah, that's the, that's the, you know, Twitter is not, you know, close to perfect either. But in this, in this position, I'm like, Jack Dorsey, way to go. I know. And he's not saying I don't accept both political views, but not political views that are on the fringe Mm -hmm. of like violent language or untruths or racist propaganda. He, Jack, Jack Dorsey's not going to allow that anymore or do his best to fact check that. Like he's not taking uh, money for political, from Which political Which is great. Like think about that. Like most corporations are built to make money. Like Correct. that's the whole mission. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm sure Jack Dorsey and and whoever's a Twitter shareholder, which I probably am because of our mutual funds. Right. Like we probably own shares of Twitter. Right. And they are purposely deciding not to make as much money because they think it's the right thing to do. Well, and you know, one of the things they said was the the commentator that was talking about what Facebook and Twitter are doing, because basically the bottom line is Facebook's doing nothing. Right. They're just allowing everything to go on as it did. I mean, they put some things in place, but nothing yeah. that's really going to, they basically said, we're not going to fact check any of these yeah. things. And what he said is both of them should understand that history will reflect on this time. Mm -hmm. And we haven't, I mean, of course we have enough history. We know how we will reflect on this time. And if you were one who did not speak up or or were completely neutral or allowed for the negativity, that's problematic. And to use like these bigger, you know, we're talking about individually, like staying neutral. In this case, it seems like, Facebook is staying neutral and Twitter is taking a stand. Now, that's one small facet of these multi-billion dollar corporations. So I don't want to like, you know. It's not just about this one thing. It's not just about this one Mm -hmm. thing. But in this one thing, it seems like Twitter is stepping up. And I don't know how we got here. but Well, I I guess I was just discussing that that the difference, I think what, and I can only speak to my own personal experience, but I think I'm seeing this as far as even like in polls, you know, like statistically now it's significant that more people are willing to speak up and they're they're seeing systemic racism and they are they want to change. You know, what the change will be will be different. You know, everybody has opinions about how that should look. But what I'm saying is I no longer inst- – the quiet – part of me that wanted to be like, I just don't want to ruffle any feathers yeah. or everybody deserves a chance to speak. That's not the case. And and those of us who argue that, that, you know, that there's good people on both sides mm-hmm. kind of argument, it's, it's, it, it's not always true. Right. I mean, there are times when it is like you and I have always talked about, you know, having respective and reflect, reflective discourse with whoever we're talking with. And even if I was speaking with someone who agreed or didn't agree with me and had different perspective, I could still listen respectfully. But I'm no longer, to your point, going to affirm that or just say, huh, interesting. I would give my opinion Mm. back. Like, I am no longer going to be a silent person. Um, Or I will be living that practice. Will I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But it's a new... It's a new... It's not even new. It's a more determined perspective that I have. Um, So that goes back to self-care. Let me me kind of bring it back. So the point is, is self-care is not always easy or fun, okay? Sometimes self-care is about speaking what you believe. Because when you don't speak what you believe, there's part of you that feels sick. When you don't say what you know, there's part of you that can die. When you don't respond to something because you're afraid, there's part of you that remains afraid. And this self-care is oftentimes having that difficult conversation. It's not spiritual bypassing. It's not running away from a conversation. It's admitting a truth or apologizing or being real or going first or being... That's Self-care is not about a bath. That's kind of my point is sometimes we look at self-care and we say, 
It's only about me feeling good right now. Yeah. Sometimes self-care is making a difficult decision because that's what's in the best interest of your well-being in the long run. Right. Self-care can be a bath, but I say apologize, do what's right, stand up, and then go take a bath. Right. That's like that's like heavy-duty self-care. Do you see what I mean? Well, and I feel like what you're talking about, at least how I receive it, is integrity. Yeah, so the term like integrity, so the, the word in integrity comes from integer, which means whole. Mm -hmm. So when somebody is saying something to you that you disagree with and you get small and you don't say anything, there is an energetic like backup that exactly. happens inside of you. Exactly. So the way to become whole is to speak your truth. Not, yeah. Maybe not, uh, you know, F-bombing the other guy who disagrees with you. No. But if you just get quiet, that, I think, in, impacts your well-being. Right. And if we can learn how to reveal and not withhold these thoughts or these feelings and become whole and to live a life of integrity, and we get this opportunity every day of our lives I with our kids, say, uh, you know, talking to a friend, how we, our relationship with ourself, like this, this wholeness is really what we're aiming for. And it's sometimes not even pretty, like it might come out sideways, but if, if, you know, I've lived a life for most of my life of kind of like people pleasing and always trying to, you know, not make waves. And I feel like there was a cost to that. Yes. And now I'm like, you know what? My truth is more important than me people pleasing kind of like i've watched the glennon thing that you talked about this morning mm. and she talked about boundaries and you know this is kind of along the same lines of like are you gonna have boundaries within yourself and maybe your boundary is i'm gonna speak up like mm -hmm. that's my boundary mm -hmm. i'm gonna speak up when somebody says something that i think uh, that i disagree with that is gonna have a negative impact on this conversation or the world or the room that i'm in or whatever and, you know, I like the way that you said that and the word that I was going to add to it instead of like, you know, as far as integrity, we practice integrity. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that, you know, we just choose it when it's easy. I just mean sometimes we miss an opportunity and then we have the feeling like I'm sure all of you know this. You're in a conversation with your partner, maybe with your kid, maybe with, uh, you know, a friend down the street and they say something and you miss that opportunity to say the thing yeah. and you walk away and then you feel horrible you're not a horrible person who's out, who's like has no integrity. It's that you missed an opportunity to practice integrity. Right. Do you hear what I mean? So integrity is not something you are or aren't. Integrity is a practice, like a moment to moment practice. And I feel like when I have those experiences where I am quiet or I don't say anything, it empowers me the next time. Meaning I walk away and I say, oh, I hate the way I feel. I don't like that I didn't speak up and then it gives me more motivation to do it the next time. So you don't have to walk around deciding you're you're a person of no integrity. You are practicing it and and a lot of my clients, Todd, are are learning how to do this in real time with their partners. Mm -hmm. Um that there are many times I've talked about this a lot that you know the women that I work with are saying things like, "Well, I want to bring it up, but it's not going to make any difference" or I, I said something before, but I don't want to say it again, or I don't know if it's fair, or I don't want to make him angry, or I don't want to make her angry, or whatever it may be. And I hear all those things, and they're not, I'm not saying those things aren't true. Yeah. What I'm saying is which one is worse? Yeah. It, because if you live where you don't say, 
who you are and what you need and what doesn't feel good and what hurts and and what does feel good, then you are disappearing. Mm-hmm. Then it's not it's not about you anymore. It's about making sure the person across from you or sleeping in the bed with you is happy and contained and you lose all parts of your sense of self. So I have a, a cheat sheet from my coaching program that I'm going through right now and okay. it's called an integrity inventory. Okay. And it's four quadrants. Okay. The first quadrant is unfelt. So this is how you know that you might be out of integrity. Like, have I felt all my feelings around my childhood, my parents, my siblings, my children? So unfelt. So like, can you tap into how you're feeling? Like for you, that's probably a little bit easier than okay, for me. But the way you just described it sounds like if I tapped into everything from my childhood, do you mean that this, that's an ongoing piece of it? It's, I think it's like just a journey. Like, how do you know if you're practicing integrity? One of the ways you can practice integrity is to feel your feelings. Okay. So just stay with feel your feelings. Right. It, and it, and right. the way it's described is, is the opposite. Like you have some unfelt. Got, okay? got it. You've, you've got some denial or Correct. some shutdown parts. Okay. So the one quadrant is unfelt. The second is unkept and it's about agreements. Have you kept your agreements mm. with your spouse, with yourself, yes. with your kids? Yes. The third quadrant is unowned. So am I blaming mm. my spouse? So these are ways that you can do. Anyone else who comes to mind more than three times about your your past, your present, your lack, your emotional states. And then last, the fourth quadrant is unsaids, unsaids. So things that you have withheld. Yes. Um, And even that's tricky because like, oh, I'm just going to tell you what I think and not have any responsibility responsibility and what it said it's it's how you say things well, but and that's the thing is i feel like you know we've hammered this so much in this show about that it's never about unloading on people mm-hmm. you know my my favorite language is reflective and respectful discourse what that means is you are self-aware and conscious of what you're saying and why. You're not having a reaction from anger or a reaction from fear. You're having a thoughtful discussion where you are honoring the other person's dignity. You are rec- you are recognizing their humanity. You're not looking at it as, I deserve to say everything I need and make you feel like crap. That's not respectful or reflective. Mm. That's emotional dumping. This is like, I'm going to say what I need and honor the dignity of you simultaneously. Well, what's interesting, and I'm just going through this right now, I've, I'm on this email exchange because we've been talking about race a lot in my men's group, and there's been a really active email exchange going on, and some men are kind of in attack mode mm-hmm. in their emails, and some of those men are men of color because mm-hmm. they feel like they're not being heard, and, mm-hmm. a, and there's some white men on... Who are attacking back. Who are they, attacking right? back, mm-hmm. and... So it's funny. It's kind of tricky. Like it's not about the only way I'm going to be dignified and respectful is if you do it. Mm -hmm. What I want to do is when somebody comes at me from below the line or comes at me in attack mode, if I'm just waiting for everybody to be respectful and dignified to have a productive conversation, I might be waiting a long time. So the only thing I have control over is for me to be able to practice my own integrity and not get activated when somebody comes in. Because some of these men who are on this email change, they're mad. Well, and here's the thing. I want to be very clear that ideally, I was talking about talking with your partner or somebody like that or someone you don't know very well. There are times that anger is dignified. Right. Like, and meaning if somebody was attacking me. Right. And saying things, it's not, and again, anger, we look at anger as being wrong or bad, that, oh my God, they're angry. 
Anger is a boundary crossing, mm. meaning that when you get angry, it's like you have tapped in to a place. It wakes you up. It does. And so I would I would hate to, like the ideal, especially in a partnership or as a parent and everything, is to be able to have a thoughtful uh, response and to consider the other person, which I think that's true all the time. But there are times that anger or sadness relays our message. Mm-hmm. As long as we're not, because when you're saying attack, I would be even careful with that language, Todd, yeah. because they are sharing their yeah, pain. Right. There's that the, even attack is a loaded word. It is, and and especially when we're talking about discussions around race, because that gets used yeah. against men of color right. and women of color a lot. You're sharing your feelings and you're attacking me. Right. And there, think about yeah the amount of restraint in certain situations. That, that men and women of color have to demonstrate. Right. And so for them to be in a conversation with someone and to show anger is not always attacking. Totally. I agree with you 100%. And I think the question I'm having is what does healthy anger in a conversation look like? And what does unhealthy anger in a conversation look like? And at this moment, I don't know. But what if it's not perfected? Because I know the way our brains work differently and that you're very logical Mm -hmm. um, in that you would like to compartmentalize this and know the answer. Yes. You would like to say, this is what a good conversation looks like. Sometimes the messy anger leads to the opening that leads to the better outcome. Right. right. You and I have talked about this in our own marriage discussions that sometimes my sadness or anger or your sadness or anger breaks open something that's necessary that then leads us to the next place. Right, because the 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 biggest um, risk in not getting angry or sad or mad or whatever is then everything is just surfacy on the Correct. level and there's no depth of connection. And so people will say, but Kathy, you just said reflective and respectful discourse. You can be angry without tearing down another person's humanity or dignity. Like, mm-hmm. Todd, when I get angry and I am telling you something I feel, and, and you you would have to answer this question, I guess, but do I ever like rip you down as a person? Do no. I? And, and I don't have like little shots that I put in there or I don't do things to... My goal is not to shame you. Or dehumanize me. Dehumanize you. I am angry or frustrated, but I am not then throwing in, and yeah, you suck as a dad. You know, those are the dehumanizing. Below the belt. Below the belt things that we're talking about. There's no respect in that. Um, Or there's no dignity in that. Or there's, you're not, going back to self-care, you're going to say your piece, but then you're going to walk away feeling like crap. Mm. So you really didn't practice self-care in that situation. Self-care is saying what you feel and what is most important and knowing that you, and, and here's the thing, say that, one time I was sharing and you said, whoa, that really did hit below the belt because it was my Achilles. I would have to listen to that and recognize that I didn't do well that time, but I can learn from it. Meaning, I guess I'm just going back to sometimes messy just means not expecting perfect conversation. For sure. And I think if, if any conversation is meant to harm the other, then, you know, that's my litmus test of, you could be angry, speaking your truth, not intending to harm anybody. Correct. Like that seems okay to me. But if whoever's talking 
is meaning to harm the other, then that feels like that's below the belt. Your intention is already to, I'm going to make you feel ashamed. Right. I actually had a conversation with a girlfriend this weekend and she was talking about something in regards to her daughter. And she said, well, I'm going to talk to her about it and tell her that what she's doing is not a good look. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, it's just not going to look good to other people and it might be offensive to her grandmother or whatever. And I'm mm -hmm. like, but what's your intention there? Your intention is shame. You are shaming yourself and shaming us. Yeah. And even though that may be true, that should be the fifth thing on the list. Sure. The first thing on the list should be, tell me what's going on, or I'm concerned about you, or when you do this, what it makes me think is. And then after you have the discussion, maybe be like, and it's not a great look, yeah. you know, but that can't be your in. Mm -hmm. Because the, the what you're doing when you're saying to someone, that doesn't look good, and people may think this, person's is, not going to have any choice but to get defensive. Not only are they going to be defensive, but what you're telling them is what you care about most is what other people think. Yeah. And is really, I know for a fact that this friend, that's not what she cares about most. Sure. So why are, so that to me is almost like a running away from the true emotional elements and jumping to the, I'm going to make it about what other people think about yeah, you, right. which is almost, I don't want to say it's, I don't know if it's safe, but it makes people feel more comfortable. Right. Like I'm going to make you feel bad. Right. Um, so I want to talk about one thing quick before we finish it, because you already brought it up, is I wanted to talk about Glennon's morning meeting this oh, yeah. morning. So uh, this morning, uh, Glennon Doyle, who wrote Untamed, many of you know her already, she does morning meetings, uh, sometimes on Monday where she talks about something that was in her book or something that she is important to her, you know, lives in her heart. And she talked about her um, depression and anxiety, which she has both clinically, and she and I loved her um, definition of depression and anxiety is like living with Eeyore and Tigger at the same time, like being Eeyore and Tigger the at Winnie the same the time. The Winnie the Pooh characters. Correct. So you're like depressed, but you're like bouncing all over the place. And and what she was talking about was her own. I mean, there were many things that she discussed as far as her own anxiety and depression and her. Uh, experience growing up and how she dealt with it and how she deals with it today and how she doesn't have shame around it and that her most important thing, which is exactly what we're talking about today, is um, the ability to have boundaries mm. and that self-care starts with, in her definition, and I, you know, I know we're not supposed to swear on this show, but what you need to do to keep your, your shit together. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things you need to do? Yeah. She said that's her like her life's goal is my responsibility is to keep my blank together. crap together. And you and I have talked about this a lot. We This is what we, you know, when we used to work with fifth grade girls, like how many of her years ago? It was probably like eight years ago. Our biggest question the first night we were together is what's your greatest responsibility? And everybody would say walking the dog, doing my homework. And then Todd and my big, you know, offering was no, it's you. Mm -hmm. You are your greatest responsibility. You taking care of yourself and figuring out how to do that well in a healthy manner. Because again, Glennon's way of taking care of herself early was eating disorders um, drugs and alcohol. And even though she was doing her best to manage, those are not healthy ways of doing it. Well, and she, there's a part in there where she said, I thought my problem was bulimia and alcoholism. And it turns out that's just how I resolved right. 
my problem of depression and anxiety. That's why I tell my students all the time, and, and everybody should hear this, whenever you hear, or when one of your clients is going to rehab, mm-hmm. or when you hear like your favorite movie star is going to rehab, they haven't even begun. Right. Rehab is nothing. Rehab is this contained environment where people are helping them. It's leaving rehab and figuring out how to live your life Sober. Sober. Yeah. And that that's that's the work. Yeah. It's re and don't get me wrong, rehab's rehab a lot of work. work too. But rehab is rehab. Mm. And then now you have to figure out how to live. Yeah. And it's why, you know, it's why so many people go back into rehab because they need they need it more than once. Yeah. And a lot of addicts that I know um don't even consider those relapses to be failures mm. because they needed something more. Yeah. They they're that's their they're like, no, I needed to do that three times because then yeah. now I have it. So I guess my point is is that it just makes me think about how some of the things that we do on a daily basis, self-care wise, if it be speak up for ourselves, if it be meditate, yoga, we're doing these things not to demonstrate our trendiness or to tell our therapist or to tell our friends um, how we do yoga three times a week. It's the things we do to keep our crap together mm. and that we that that should be first priority because all these other things that we talked about on the show today, it is very difficult to do any of them if you're not holding yourself together. Because if your parts are straying all over the place and you don't have a plan for how to take care of yourself, how are you going to respond instead of react? Well, and think about how hard that is to do. And I don't ever like to say anything's challenging, but as a parent, like it's, you know, to focus on yourself as a parent is very tricky because we, by definition, I think we're biologically hardwired to put, put the kid in front of our own needs. I don't agree with you. I know it's not right. I'm saying that- But we're not biologically hardwired to put the kid in, that's Maybe culturally agree. conditioned to. I don't that, know. That I would agree Insert with. Insert your own word, doesn't matter. I just know that it's really hard to think of putting yourself first in front of your partner or your kids or your job. It's just, it's really seductive to go put your energy elsewhere. And that's kind of why we need to work on the language of you. It's not putting yourself first in the linear way. Mm -hmm. It is because the linear way is I'm, you know, it's this way where we like number things and think, oh no, my kids are third. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that to yourself where that makes you feel bad. Just recognize that part of loving your kids is taking care of yourself. And again, taking care of yourself in ways that go beyond manicures and vacations. Mm -hmm. Self-care is about in a difficult conversation with your kid, being honest. Mm -hmm. It's about being accountable. Yeah. When you tell your kid you're going to do something and you don't do it, you apologize for that, that you are, you don't get defensive about it and tell the kid why they shouldn't expect that from you. You, you hold yourself accountable. You act as if like you're telling your child how to be kind and responsible, but then you're not being kind and responsible. That doesn't make any sense. Will you fall and fail and have challenges? Yes. But then demonstrate to your child how you practice getting up and resilience and owning it. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's about living in your humanness and being, you know, embracing all parts of your humanity, which will have anger and failure and challenges and joy and good ideas and bad ideas, that's owning 
all pieces. Well, and to go back to those four quadrants, um, are you feeling your feelings? Are you keeping your agreements? Are you blaming others? And then are you withholding? If right. you're if you're not doing any of those things, you're probably on a pretty good path. But if there's, usually there's one quadrant that, you know, mine is unfelt. Like that's the one that I struggle with because I push down feelings and emotions. I think I'm pretty good at revealing what I think and I'm really good at keeping my agreements. But usually I would say one of these four things one of us, you know, most of us struggle with one of yeah, them. Yeah, we like excel yeah. at some of them in our challenge. And absolutely, right. I would agree with that completely. And I think that one thing, because I was saying before about, you know, we shouldn't spiritual bypass and we shouldn't run away, but it's okay to rest. Sure. Yeah, you know? and even that's a nuanced. What's the difference between running away and resting? Like, that's that's nuanced. I'll give you an example that, that I found this week, is there's a difference between... Um, saying I need to rest so I can continue doing this mm-hmm. and I'm done with this. Right. It when it's around something you really want. Right. Meaning I'm assuming most people would like to have a better understanding of race relations and they would like to, you know, respect the humanity of all people and understand their own systemic racism. They want that. Sure. And it's okay to say I need a rest or a break from all the reading and the movies. That's fine. But when we say no, I'm just not gonna do that anymore, mm-hmm. that's a that's a pushing away and right. a denial. Right. So it's like we we deserve rest in partnership, time from each other. We deserve rest in parenthood. Rest is very different than running away. Yeah. And and again, many may say, you know, we could have a whole nother show on the difference. But um, Sweetie, la- we always got next week. We do. And the last word I want to throw out, because I know you have to go, Todd, is the respecting the difference between true self-care, which can sometimes be messy and initially uncomfortable, but in the long run is better, and consumer health care or self-care. Consumer self-care are those things like you need more makeup. Yeah. You need to get your nails done. You need to get highlights. Those are the things that are, and those can be self-care, but that's consumer self-care. Well, and I feel like that's fleeting too. It's fleeting and I do all of them, but I don't look at it and say, this will solve. Right. So it's not about making those things bad. Yeah. It's about recognizing. What was the first one? Consumer self-care. And what's the first one? Um, uh, the first one is like self care that might be difficult thought, or I, uncomfortable. I thought you gave it a label though. But I don't maybe think I, I did. I I just said that self care that's not always fun or easy, yeah. like true individualistic um, integrity type self care. Got it. And then consumer self care, which is the magazine Going cover. To, it costs money. Yeah, that basically says do these things, right. and they they all have a place. Sure. You don't need to demonize any of them. But there is. But if you, all you're doing is the consumer one, correct. you probably need to work on that a little bit. And people will say that. They'll say, I went on vacation for two days and I still don't feel better. I'm like, but the vacation is nice and I think you should do it. Um, oh no, Todd. What? On my computer. Sorry, just this Joel Schumacher, who was the director of St. Elmo's Fire, just died. Oh. And he did Batman too. Yes, but he did St. Elmo's. That's the most important one. Oh, it just popped up on my screen. So yeah. since we do pop culture. So. I know you have to go. Do you I feel do. like that's an all-encompassing about self-care? No, of course not. But it is a good start. It's a good start. Yeah. So everybody, thank you for listening. We'll continue this discussion because remember, it's never-ending. It's ongoing. It's also paradoxical. It's also messy, but it's also joy-filled. It's all of the above. You are human beings. And do us a favor. Support our partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty. Have him paint your deck or rebuild an office or redo your kitchen. 630-956-1800. See you guys next week. Adios. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.